When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome once again to Strange Planet, and on this episode, a special look at shadow beings, shadow people. Mike Ricksecker is uh, going to uh, take us on an incredible journey. He is the author of the Amazon bestselling A Walk in the Shadows, a complete guide to shadow people, the esoteric tome Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, and eight historic paranormal books. He's appeared on multiple television shows and programs, including History Channel's Ancient Aliens and The Unexplained, Travel Channel's The Alaska Triangle, Discovery's uh, Fright Club, Animal Planet's The Haunted, and multiple series on Gaia TV and more. Mike is the producer and director of the docuseries The Shadow Dimension, available on several streaming platforms and he produces additional full-length content on ancient wisdom, lost civilizations, and the supernatural on his extensive YouTube channel. For more than six years, Mike hosted the Edge of the Rabbit Hole live stream show and currently hosts the Connecting the Universe interactive class. He operates his own book publishing and video production company, Haunted Road Media, representing a number of authors and winning the award for excellent media in the paranormal field at the 2019 Shockfest Film Festival, Mike's historical uh, paranormal articles have been published in the Baltimore Sun and uh, Paranormal Underground magazine, and he previously wrote an Oklahoma City paranormal column for uh, ex uh, theexaminer.com between 2010 and 2014. His work has been uh, featured in the Oklahoman, the Frederick News Post, Marshall University's The uh, Parthenon and Louisiana State University's Civil War Book Review. He now hosts many of these articles along with information, videos, and learning courses on the Connected Universe Portal website. He's a native of Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, Mike is a U.S. Air Force veteran with a degree in simulation programming and is an avid baseball fan. Mike Ricksecker, welcome back to Strange Planet. How are you? Thank you, Richard. I really appreciate you having me back. We had a wonderful conversation last time, so I'm looking forward to this evening. Well, that's a, that's a, a remarkable resume you have. Uh, first of all, as a U.S. Air Force vet, thank you for your service. Thank you. And uh, likewise, a, an avid baseball fan, so uh, there's something else we have in, in common. Um, now, let's, let's start up talking about the, um, this docu-series. Uh, on the shadow dimension. Uh, I just saw the trailer. It looks absolutely fascinating. There's a, um, one case involving this beautiful log home. Uh, tell me what, uh, what was happening there. 
Yeah, uh, that's actually what's affectionately known as the conjuring house. It's the farmhouse upon which the conjuring, the original conjuring movie was based. Uh, basically, the the parent home uh, was their house for 10 years during the 1970s. And so that's one of the places that we went to in investigating uh, the shadow phenomena. So the, the premise of the series is basically to uh, go to locations that have reported extensive shadow activity and also have reported uh, portal activity and, and perhaps other interdimensional activities there and to see if there's some sort of correlation between the two. Are these shadow beings actually uh, coming to us through these these portals and, and um, you know, energetic locations like this? There's a scene in which um, you're interviewing gentlemen and uh you have to i think it's you 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 sit down mm -hmm. you're, you're you're overcome by some i don't know f what what was going on there you had to be had to sit down you yeah yeah it's a really interesting location so that particular room was the uh, second floor of the farmhouse it's the room in which andrea perrin had had slept in and I'm, i was interviewing uh keith johnson uh, who he was one of the original investigators uh, back in the early 1970s. He and his brother Carl had recommended the house to the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine. And so he was relating a story to me. And while I'm just holding the camera and getting the story from him, I started feeling very, very lightheaded in that room and had to sit down. And this is apparently a common occurrence in that room. A lot of different strange things have happened there uh not just in that uh particular room but also throughout the entire house um do you have any after writing you know the book and i and um a walk in the shadows and now in its second edition and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment but after researching and the docu-series and the books any any uh, handle on what these things are these shadow entities well, you know, that's kind of a loaded question because uh, there's no one straightforward answer. Uh, there, there are a lot of different things. You know, some of these are just human spirits that can't fully manifest as an apparition. Uh, some may be extraterrestrials. I believe a true shadow person is some sort of interdimensional being. But, uh, yeah, that could be things like astral projections, light beings, um, a, a variety of different types of phenomena that perhaps time slips and things like this, that we don't quite understand that our eyes are only picking up a fragment of their energy. It comes off uh, you know, dark in nature to us because our eyes only see into a certain uh, light spectrum. And so it leaves open the possibility that these could be a lot of different things. The, uh, the log home, this, the, 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 um, this house was located in Rhode Island, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's in uh, Harrisville, Rhode Island. Yeah, a, a log cabin disguised, or a portal disguised as a log cabin. Um, this idea of of a portal and these entities coming in and out of this of this portal suggests that they're interdimensional. Yeah, what's interesting about that house is, you know, for for one, it's on Native American land. Uh, the the house itself. It dates back to the uh, to the 1700s. It's been around a long time. Um, they actually don't really know uh, exactly how old it is. Some accounts dated all the way back into the 1600s. We're not sure. 
But uh, in the basement of that house is still to this day an open well with water in it. And that room that they call the well room is actually made of limestone walls capped with granite blocks. So this is really like a perfect little power plant for capturing earth energy and spreading it throughout the house. So this could be the, the thing that's energizing the different, uh, you know, portals and things like this that are believed to be within the house to allow these different types of entities, whether it's spirits uh, or otherwise, to be able to come through. Uh, when you were working on the Alaska Triangle TV show, did you discover shadow entities to be more common there? Well, that's an interesting question um, because I, I spent three years of my uh, Air Force career in Alaska and did actually experience uh, shadow activity up there in Alaska, uh, actually within the Alaska Command Building on Elmendorf Air Force Base. Uh, within our, we were in the basement of that particular building. It was a secure communications facility. And in the back office area, we routinely saw shadows moving in and about uh, the different office areas. And this was something that we really spoke of uh, in whispers and in hushed tones because you didn't. You didn't want to be too vocal about it and find yourself down at mental health. Uh, but uh, but yeah, this was something that we routinely saw up there. Now, with Alaska being the way it is as an actual triangle area and the U.S. Department of the Interior back in the 60s actually uh, did magnetic surveys of at least 100,000 uh, square miles of the land up there in Alaska's far bigger, it's over 600,000 square miles, but 100,000 square miles of it, uh, they detected what they described as uh, as the land having five unique magnetic characters, some of these of which they described as negative anomalies. So this is already, you know, a property of that area uh, for it to be, you know, highly magnetic. Uh, you have the seismic and volcanic activity that's up there. You also have, uh, you know, the, the thing that's creating the aurora borealis up there, which is the, the solar flares uh, bouncing off the ionosphere. And so you have this uh, magnificent cocktail of different energies up there that cause a lot more of these type of manifestations. So are the conditions that exist within the triangle, do you find those same conditions wherever shadow entities are seen uh, or are more common, the same characteristics? Well, I would say that where you have some of these more magnetic areas, you may find that uh, you're going to experience more things like shadow activity. You may experience more things like apparitions there. Uh, you may discover that uh, you know people are able to you know harness that energy and enter into or have maybe a little bit easier time entering into altered states of consciousness. That's why people you know, flock to areas like Sedona in the American Southwest, you know, it's a more energetic area and they are, you know, using that type of energy to, to meditate and enter into other states of consciousness. So, you know, these are areas of the type of world that are more prone to that type of activity. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, other areas can't manifest it. Uh, we see shadow activity and, and other types of supernatural phenomena all over the world. It just means that you have these hotspot areas that have more of it. So um, I mentioned A Walk in the Shadows, the um, complete guide to shadow people now in its second edition. What's 
What's different in the second edition? Well, the second edition has uh, some follow-up content. As I was, uh, well, it was a little bit difficult to tour the first edition because of, of COVID. <laughs> but um, you know, as as the first edition was making the rounds, and uh, you know, people were responding to it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of feedback that came out of it. And there was a little bit of additional research that I was still doing on the side uh, that I wanted to go ahead and include additionally that I was able to, you know, you know firm up a little bit of the, that information and go ahead and, and add it to the, the book. Also, I had filmed the, the shadow dimension between the first edition and the second edition, and I wanted to include some of the things that happened during filming. Um, the idea that... Um there may be a time slip involved with some of these, these shadow entities. Talk to me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the fascinating things about that particular household, the, the conjuring house, which they never depict in the movie, uh, but is really probably the most fascinating thing that happened there. Uh, there's one particular evening in which uh, Carolyn Perrin and, and Andrea uh, had been up and Andrea went to go, uh, you know, make her some coffee and, and heat up some some dinner because Carolyn hadn't had a chance to eat that night. Carolyn's sitting in the the parlor area, looking into the uh, into the dining room, and all of a sudden, what manifested before her was a scene that looked like something out of the 1700s, where uh, there was a woman cooking over a hearth, and that particular fireplace had been you know boarded up for at least a hundred years. A couple of kids running around, and there were two gentlemen that were sitting at the table, they turned and looked at Carolyn. The one remarked to the other, well, would you look at that? As if Carolyn was the ghost. You know, so what's interesting about that is, okay, Carolyn's looking into the past at some sort of scene. They were actually looking into the future at her. So this is indicative of some sort of time slip. And uh, another story that had uh, come to my attention through our friend Jim Harold, actually, hmm. who we talked to uh, before our, our show here, um, or talked about before the show. Uh, I was on a uh, an interview with him some time ago between editions, and uh, he brought to my attention a story about a uh, about a young man, and when he was younger, when he was a child, uh, he had walked into the kitchen and saw standing in the room by the kitchen table, this tall, dark hooded figure scared him to death. He went running out of the room. When he was older, he was at the kitchen table making a sandwich. He was wearing a hoodie and he saw coming into the doorway, this shorter shadow person that stopped and then took off in the other direction. And he realized in that moment, wait a second, that was me when I was a child. And when I was a child, I actually saw myself. But it only came off as a shadow. There was only enough in that moment to to resonate as a shadow, rather than like a full apparition or you know full, uh, you know, fully in color or what have you. Uh, but this is indicative of some sort of time slip where, in whatever the conditions were in that moment, those two points in time were able to res resonate at the same frequency, and one was able to see the other for just a brief moment. Yes, I, Jim shared that story with me around Christmas as well. It, it, it's fascinating. Again, it just goes to, again, underscore the idea that the not only is the universe stranger than we imagine, it's stranger than we possibly can imagine. Mike, we'll take a quick time out, come back, and continue to delve into shadow entities.
Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. And we're back with Mike Ricksecker, the author of the Amazon best-selling A Walk in the Shadows, a complete guide to shadow people. Uh, also, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle and Eight Historic Paranormal uh, Books. The website is MikeRicksecker.com. And also, um, you can find out more about the uh, docuseries Shadow Dimension, uh, Shadow Dimensions at ShadowDimension.com forward slash uh, the underscore series, but I've got all of the, um, the links in the episode notes. Uh, so back to, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> um, back to, um, th- this idea of, of time slips. Uh, and, uh, you mentioned Jim Harold seeing, someone encountering himself in the in the future or in the past and and uh, how that may be one explanation for uh for time slips um i mean what does that say about does that indicate that we're living in a holographic universe or does it have something to do with uh, a quantum universe what does it tell us do you think well this is what i think uh <laughs> When it comes to time, uh, you know, we've had this notion for a long, long time that we were, you know, we were traveling along the river of time, that it's, you know, constantly flowing and we're headed down the river and we can't go, we can't go back. It's, it's taking us downstream. But I don't think that's the way time works. I think time is all concurrent, past, present, and future, all happening at the same time. And every once in a while, you know, call it resonates the same frequency or uh, has the same, uh, you know, electrical vibration, whatever it is, same wavelength. And we're able to see a glimpse of that for just a moment. So I have something that I've called stack time theory. And when I started putting all that together and doing some research and you know, came across that, hey, Einstein actually had some similar concepts uh, talking about his space-time continuum. But basically the idea is that you, know, you take wherever you're sitting or you know, take a location and every moment that has happened, is happening and will happen are all stacked up like a, like a stack of photos. And again, for whatever reason, two of those photos may resonate the same frequency for just a moment and we get a glimpse of that. Now, how does one consciously travel along that to be, you know, to become something like a time traveler. That's kind of the big question there. How do we voluntarily do it? We haven't quite figured that one out yet. Uh, If that is perhaps the underpinning of a lot of paranormal activity, uh, simply, you know, time slips, encountering ourselves in the future or in the past, which may explain ghostly apparitions it may explain just about everything in the paranormal world. This could be the unified paranormal theory uh, that you're <laughs> discussing. Um, I mean, talk to me about the implications of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thought has certainly uh, crossed my mind that it could explain a lot of 
this activity that that we've been witnessing that you know a uh, you know what we typically call a residual haunt that you know something that you know plays out again and again and again and we have an idea called stone tape theory that the energy has been uh, trapped inside you know, the building or you know a stone or whatever uh, they have some magnetic properties to it we don't know what the catalyst is but it uh, but it kicks it off and it plays out. Well, what if it's not the stone? What what if it's just the way the universe and time works? And it's still there's still a catalyst. There's still something that that kicks it off, and then we see that play out. But what's interesting is that some of these interactions are you know kind of what we would call an intelligent haunt. You're able to interact with it. Uh, it reacts to you and that sort of thing. So in in that sense. You know, there's there's a lot more going on in that situation where it's not just viewing something that it played. It's actually being able to interact with it as well. But it still could be in the sense that it is another moment in time that's happening in front of us. Uh, there's also another component associated with shadow entities, and that's sleep paralysis. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's referred to as the old hag syndrome. Or are we talking about the same thing? Well, in that sense, when it comes to sleep paralysis, uh, you know, that is a very natural biological phenomenon that, that people experience. Uh, what the body is supposed to do at night is, you know, paralyze you so you don't act out your dreams while you're asleep. But sometimes when we wake up, the body is still in that state of being. And then sometimes we wake up and we're still in that state of being and we see these, these shadow entities there and, you know, all of a sudden we're, you know, we're very frightened. Now, the medical community is, uh, what they like to say is that the, uh, the shadow beings, the, uh, the intruder phenomenon that they like to say is just a manifestation, a hallucination out of our, out of our dreams uh, when we wake. The problem I have with that is if this is just a hallucination out of our dreams, well, you know, we dream about all kinds of different things, not just people. You know, we, there might be, uh, you know, bushes and trees are dreams maybe airplanes are flying overhead it might be cars or motorcycles some you know things like that but those things don't manifest themselves as shadows in our rooms it's always this this being you know this human figure so what exactly is going on here if it's not a hallucination well anybody who has a small child can has had a small child can relate to this and that is Okay, child wakes up in the middle of the night and, you know, they need to maybe use the restroom, get a glass of water, whatever it is. And they'll come into your room, kind of tap you on the shoulder, shake you awake, and you go take care of it. Well, sometimes, though, you get a child like my youngest son, Cameron, who doesn't do that. They come into the room and they just stand at the edge of the bed and they stare. And all of a sudden, you kind of wake up and you're like, oh, my gosh, Cameron, what are you doing? You know, it's creepy. <laughs> But, uh, you know, he says, you know, I had a bad dream or I need to use the restroom. Okay, okay, we'll go take care of it. So then the question becomes, if I didn't wake up because he tapped me on the shoulder or whatever, then what woke me up? Well, we each have a toroidal field of energy that surrounds us, that extends out several feet from our bodies. And so when his energy field crossed into mine, I was able to feel that. I was able to feel his presence, able to feel his energy. And so that's what I think is happening in a lot of these uh, shadow being cases where people have the sleep paralysis is that, you know, it's two different phenomena that are happening at the same time where they come into the room, we feel their energy, we feel their presence, we wake up because we feel that, 
And sometimes we have that sleep paralysis because that is a very natural biological phenomenon. We see the shadow being, usually our mind goes to somebody's broken into the house, not, you know, that there's a, uh, there's a shadow person there and, you know, we get scared, we get frightened. What's this thing? What's this, what's this person doing in, in my room? And your adrenaline starts to rush, you know, you can't move. So that makes you frightened. Why am I parent? So you're tumbling down this huge rabbit hole. And so we end up relating the two together as if the shadow is causing the sleep process. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's just two phenomena that are happening at the same time. People have described the old hag syndrome uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, a hissing sound and a foul smell and uh, just an, a, almost an unbearable sense of evil and foreboding. Um, is there another, an alternative explanation for that? Um, in other words, have shadow people been, or shadow entities been sort of miscast as, you know, these evil entities? I think in a lot of cases they've been miscast. Um, you know, there are some that are evil, nasty, nefarious. And I, I kind of simplify it where I say, you know, some human beings are good. Some human beings are bad. Same thing with shadow people. Some shadow people are good. Some shadow people are bad. It really depends on the particular being and what their agenda is. Yeah, some some uh, do show up in their, you know, they have uh, foul odors or making some sort of strange sound. Um, we don't, we don't even know what the strange hiss could be. It could be their actual language and they're trying to communicate something to us. Um, but a lot of these just kind of stand there and stare. Uh, yes, it's intrusive. Yes, it's creepy, but most of them actually don't do anything at all. We, and, and we don't even have to be waking up. We could, we could be going about our daily lives and see a shadow walk down the hall or walk across the room or, or something like that. You know, we may not even be asleep. We might not be in a sleep situation. So throw the whole sleep paralysis thing right out the window there. And, you know, people do report, you know, waking up and seeing these things in the room and not having the sleep paralysis associated with it. Um, my good friend, Rob Gutro, psychic medium. And, uh, you know, he told me uh, of this one story that he had with uh, with a shadow being that actually turned out to be his aunt who showed up in his bedroom at night. She wanted him to relate a message to his mother for him, but she had expended enough, so much energy at that point to get to him, apparently, according to him, that she could only manifest as a shadow and not as a full apparition. Well, I'm not going to say, hey, Rob, your your aunt is evil, nasty, and nefarious. No, <laughs> you know, it's just that was what she appeared to him at that time. We'll take another quick time out, Mike. Come back and uh, continue our conversation on shadow entities. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we're back with Mike Ricksecker as we continue to discuss shadow dimensions and uh, shadow people. Uh, what, do we, what can we learn or glean from ancient uh, cultures vis-a-vis -vis shadow people? Yeah, there's a lot that we can learn. You know, this, is not a, this is not a new phenomenon. Um, 
know, some people try to point back to a uh, an Art Bell interview from around uh, 2000 as like the start of the whole shadow person phenomenon. So, yeah, no, it's been around a lot longer than that. I think this kind of when you know people really started to take notice in modern times because this was actually something that was talked about, you know, as shadow, you know, as using the term shadow people back during the spiritualism movement. Um, but really, we can trace this all the way back to ancient cultures. Uh, we see this uh, phenomenon in ancient Sumer. We see uh, the ancient Egyptians, you know, having uh, a belief in seven different parts of the soul. And one of those parts of the soul was the shadow, what they called the kabit. And while the other parts of the soul would uh, move on to the constellation of Orion at death, the shadow was left to roam around here on Earth. And we do see these in Native American cultures as well. Some very, very similar concepts where part of the soul would move on. And then the uh, the shadow would stay here on Earth. But um, you're talking about old hag syndrome there earlier. And we see in many, many cultures across the globe that we're not supposed to have connections to each other, yet are still all reporting the same type of phenomena where people, uh, you know, you know, they might call it uh, like the Karabasan in Turkey. It's known as the Dark Presser and, and things like this. Uh, Pisadera in Brazil, different name for it. Maybe some legend and lore behind it, but the same idea of some sort of shadow being coming into the room, hovering over a person, you know, pressing somebody down, uh, this sort of thing uh, that was being reported throughout cultures for, for all time. The incubus and succubus, same thing, do you think? Um, it's related. You know, you uh, with the incubus and succubus, you have that, um, you know, that pressing down. Uh, that something is, um, well, in this case, something is uh, definitely doing something nefarious to you uh, that is, uh, you know, very, very intrusive physically. And so we see that with some of these uh, reports of the old hag syndrome over the years. So I would say related to those types that do like the pressing down. Um, we often hear about the the hat man uh, who seems to be a, a shadow type entity, but wearing a very distinct looking hat. I don't know a fedora or some some. What's what's happening with the hat man? Do you suppose? Yeah, it's it's interesting with that because you have some that are wearing the fedora, sometimes with or without the uh, trench coat. Uh, some wearing a top hat, sometimes with or without the cape, and so there's a lot of different ideas as to who these things are. You know, could they be? Uh, some sort of entity that is, you know, trying to mimic, you know, a human being. Uh, you know, some of them are, sometimes they get related to maybe a, a spirit that had once, you know, lived at the residence. You know, if there had been some sort of, um, you know, somebody from that era that had once lived there, that's an idea. Uh, there's an interesting story from the 1950s with uh, Albert K. Bender. He was he headed up the International Flying Saucer Bureau uh, during that time, started in 1952. And uh, this organization had blown up big within the first year, it had gone international. And then all of a sudden, after the first year, boom, he just shut it right down. And everybody wondered why. Now, there are rumors and whispers that the men in black had gotten to him and this sort of thing. And he didn't divulge what had happened until about 10 years later when he wrote a book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men. And what he explained was that he showed up uh, at home one night, walked into his room, and these three dark, shadowy, hat-wearing entities wearing the hats and 
glowing eyes, smelling of sulfur, had materialized through the wall in his room and had told him, you need to stop your research. Now to him, these were extraterrestrials and they were warning him off of his UFO work. According to him, they were harvesting resources in Antarctica and he was not allowed to talk about it until after they had, uh, after they had left the planet. Well, when I first heard the story, he's talking about the three, you know, hat wearing dark entities. I'm thinking, okay, this is a paranormal story. These are, these are shadow beings. This is the, the hat men. Other people hear the story and they relate it to the men in black. Well, maybe we're all talking about the same thing here. Interesting. Interesting. Um, do you think that there may also be some crossover between shadow entities and extraterrestrials and even the alien abduction phenomenon? Yeah, because you see a lot of you know, similar reports, uh, especially when we talk about the nighttime intruder, uh, the old hag syndrome, that sort of thing, where uh, you know, you could almost interchange shadow person and ET when people talk about waking up in the middle of the night, there's somebody or something in their room, they feel paralyzed and all of that. Um, you know, we, in, in the paranormal community, uh, those people are reporting seeing a, a shadow being while those in the ufology community are reporting seeing a, an ET. And so, again, we could be very well be talking about the same thing. And, you know, even to the point that, you know, some of these, some of these shadows that we're seeing, you know, these could be ETs that, uh, that are visiting, that are using some sort of cloaking device that they believe is going to be uh, invisible to us, because perhaps that works on their planet or their dimension or wherever they come from. But perhaps not fully understanding the phys physiology of our eyes to us, it doesn't come off fully cloaked and we end up seeing this shadow. Some people report seeing a shimmer type person too. So again, that could also be the same, the same thing. Um, if they're interdimensional, um, have people encountered shadow people during, I don't know, an astral projection or even a remote viewing? I think that happens. Um, I, I think we don't, consider when we astral project to, you know, another location on the planet, what that looks like to somebody else that may be in that room. And the example that I like to use is, you know, take a uh, grandmother who lives 500 or a thousand miles away from her daughter and granddaughter, but knows how to astral project and wants to go visit. So she sits down, she projects and goes and, you know, let's say it's at night. And goes in, takes a look at her daughter, looking good. Goes in, takes a look at her granddaughter, looking good. Well, what happens if one of them wakes up? And what do they see? You know, they, do they see grandmother's energy in the room? Does it come off as, you know, a shimmer that, like we were talking about before? Does it come off as a shadow? You know, how does that energy look like to the humans in that room? Tell me about your new uh, your new online uh, learning portal, exploring the, the mysteries of the cosmos. Yeah, absolutely. The Connected Universe Portal. So this is an online learning platform that I've put together for, there are some individual standalone courses on there. So one uh, is on the, uh, the shadow phenomena, uh, shadow entities. The other uh, goes into a lot of, uh, you know, deep esoteric knowledge in ancient Egypt. Uh, which I'm actually going back to Egypt here in a few weeks, which is mm. fantastic. Uh, but the the membership site 
that includes it's it's a weekly class that uh, you know that's very interactive. Uh, it has a lot of behind the scenes and sneak peek footage. Uh, it has video blogs there from uh, from my different uh, research trips and tours to Egypt, Ireland, the American Southwest. Uh, there's uh, all kinds of articles back there. So really, there's a lot for people to do and, and interact with uh, back there within the member site. What are you hoping to accomplish on your next trip to Egypt? Well, that is the Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour. So we are you know, following up from our last tour where that was kind of like a introduction into uh, the, uh, well, that was return of the Kepler cycle. So that was a special time of year. We went there on the summer solstice uh, within the Great Pyramid and uh, our guide, Mohammed Ibrahim, kind of, you know, pointed out, okay, you know, there's, this is over here on at uh, like Hatshepsut's temple where, you know, it's designated as a stargate. Well, we're going to get deeper into that uh, on this particular tour. Are these stargates still active? Well, there's, uh, that's a great question. So the ones at the, uh, you know, the, the commercial sites that we go to, Hatchet's Temple, Abydos, these, these sorts of locations, no, they, they do not appear to be active. But there is a... Uh, there's a location there by Dasher, which has the uh, the Bent Pyramid, the Red Pyramid, uh, off to the the west there. It's right along the same road. Uh, it's a Egyptian military installation that has the ruins of a, another pyramid back there. And there are, again, I don't have any distinct proof, but there are rumors that are coming out of there, and they call it Egypt's Area 51, that there is an active stargate there that's actually in the ground, circular in shape, but it's described as an aurora borealis coming out of the ground. Sounds absolutely fascinating. I'd love to actually get some proof of that story. Uh, and maybe one day we will. And how, how are these stargates being utilized? By who or by what? Well, you, I, you take a look at any, uh, you know, government conspiracy, you know, they would be using it either to, you know, contact ETs, move in and out of other dimensions. Uh, you know, they may, uh, they may be using it as some sort of almost time machine. If they're able to, you know, we talked earlier about, uh, you know, time, you know, not being linear, that's actually all stacked up. Maybe these stargates move in and out of time. So there's a number of possibilities that we could speculate about. The ancients, uh, it's very possible, you know, you, you hear all of these stories of this connection to the constellation of Orion. So were they using those stargates to move back and forth, you know, or were they using it to, um, you know, move in and out of different states of consciousness? Uh, it's, we don't exactly know. Have you heard the theory that the Hoover Dam is actually a stargate? I have, I have not had a chance to look into that, but um, the the star map that's over there is really interesting. And there's supposed to be some some hidden uh, symbolism within that. What about in Alaska, in, in the the uh, the triangle? Uh, any suspected stargates? Well, with Alaska, you have a lot of you know, interesting energy up there. Uh, you have a lot of planes and people that have gone missing 16,000 people since 1988 in some of these planes people believe have actually disappeared through portals and so when we go when we jump down that rabbit hole 
and start looking at, okay, so if a plane did pass through a portal, we've seen down in the Bermuda Triangle with, with Bruce Gernon back in the 1970s, he actually jumped in head, ahead in time, about an hour and a half. So if this is possible with that type of energy, and say the you know missing Douglas Skymaster from 1950 had traveled through one of these portals and maybe went back in time, we'll just use an arbitrary number, like 500, 1,000 years, something like that, what would an airplane showing up 500 or 1,000 years ago look like to the indigenous people of the area at that time? Because they would have no context whatsoever of an airplane. They would relate it to a flying creature, some sort of bird, loud, thunderous in nature, because you're talking about an airplane. So maybe this is where some of our Thunderbird legends are coming from. Maybe there are actually airplanes that have slipped through some of these portals to another point in time. Remarkable. <laughs> Yeah, I'd never thought of it that way. Uh, how do we get a copy of A Walk in the Shadows, the second edition? Absolutely. Uh, probably the easiest way is just go to Amazon.com. I mean, you could go to my website, MikeRickSecker.com, but I'm just going to have a link there that'll take you to Amazon. So that's really the easiest way. And again, The Shadow Dimension. Um, how many parts in this series? Yeah, there are six episodes to that. Uh, best place to watch that right now is Tubi TV. It's on a number of different streaming platforms, but uh, Tubi is free. It's easy to go there and, and watch it. And uh, there is a season two that is going to be released later this year. Oh, can you give us a little uh, a tease? What What are you going to be covering? Yeah, this one, uh, <laughs> this will actually contain uh, a great deal of my footage from my previous Egypt excursion. All right. Stay tuned for that. Mike Ricksecker, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Richard. Appreciate it. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.